Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, joined as always by my brother is Michael Kuhn. Uh, what's your name? Oh, I'm just your host. I'm a nameless host. And <laughs> my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. Taking after the Tomahawk pod, I see. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And we have a special guest on today, um, Dane Brugler. Say hey to everyone, Dane. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Dane. How does it feel to uh, finally be done with um, your your report? Uh, it feels great. You know, it's a, it a labor of love. It's something I work on uh, basically year-round, uh, you know, compiling information, focusing on the details. I mean, anyone that's picked up the guide, they understand the level of detail that I try to put in there. And so, you know, I consider myself uh, basically a scouting staff of one, you know, and try to put together a full guide that gets you covered. So, you know, if, if you're dropped down from Mars and you know nothing about this draft, you could take my guide and you could be okay. You, you would know everything you need to know about this draft. You're absolutely right. So this is the first year we've bought your guide, full confession. Um, but I have... I think I've read at least three quarters of it already in a week. That's, hey, that's impressive. I mean, it's 261 pages, and I think I used eight-point font. So yeah, uh, th- that, that's impressive. You got that far. It's dense. It's it's like my high school experience, but in reverse, where you try to adjust the font size to to right. meet a certain number of pages. I, I was always going for a bigger font to meet more pages. I'm sure you're going in the opposite direction. It is comprehensive yeah. to say the least. Yeah, that was, I'm glad to hear that. That was that was the goal, and I, my job is to paint a picture. You know, if, uh, try to paint a picture to show exactly who that that player is, from the background information to how many games he started as a freshman to you know, of course, strengths, weaknesses, projection, what I think he'll be at the next level, all of that. So glad to hear uh, you guys are enjoying it so far. Loving it. We might as well just jump right in. We got about a million questions for you, so we're gonna just get going. Dane, good. Dane, our first questions are obviously the Browns are going to be in the market for a quarterback at the number one pick. Anything else would be a travesty. Um, we've got five quarterbacks in this draft, and they're all so completely different. How do you go about evaluating these quarterbacks and then putting in them in a projection when they have different skill sets and they're at different levels of development at this point? How do you add um, what they could be versus what they are how do you kind of merge all that together into one comprehensive kind of idea? Well, you know, if I had the perfect answer to that, you know, I'd be, I'd be a GM right now and we'd be, <laughs> you know, we, we'd have it figured out. It's, it's tough because there's so many variables in play, you know, and it's why you talk to different people around the league. You're going to get different answers as to who the best quarterback is, who has the highest ceiling, who has the, the best potential, who has the most bust potential, um, and you know, I, I, I talk about this often, but the toughest part of an evaluator is to figure out where a player is on his football timeline. So, you know, you just picture a, a timeline and, you know, the beginning obviously being when they start playing football and then the end being, uh, when you start going in, in the other direction, uh, and you start winding down. And so where are these quarterbacks on our timeline? Are they close to a finished product are they very you know they're in their infancy where they still have a long way to go not not only do they have a long way to go but they can get better and better you know it's like it's a good thing and so not only for quarterbacks for every uh, position but especially quarterbacks it's tough to figure that out you have to take into account uh you know it's easy to say well just watch the tape you know but 
who are they playing with? Uh, what's their supporting cast like? Um, and, you know, the, the defenses they face. I mean, there's 130 FBS teams. Not every – there's not, it's not an even playing field, uh, not even close. Uh, you know, what, right. Josh Allen, what Josh Allen experienced is very different than what Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen experienced in the Pac-12. So it's just there's so many variables that go into it. Um, it, it makes it really tough, and that's why, again, you're going to have different opinions on these guys. And, uh, you know, we, we usually don't have a consensus of the top quarterbacks. Last year we didn't. Uh, Trubisky w- was the first guy taken, uh, but some preferred Watson, some preferred Mahomes. This year, it'll be the same thing, uh, you know, whether it's Darnold or Allen or Rosen. I'm sure uh, Jackson and Mayfield even have fans. So it's mm. it, there's going to be no consensus this year. To, uh, it really comes down to the Browns, what they think fits best for their system and who they think is the best term or best long term option. Yeah, it's funny you actually mentioned the uh, quarterbacks from last year and tease up a question I wanted to toss your way. I've seen Daniel Jeremiah and a few others take the last few years of quarterback classes and rank mm-hmm. them all together, projecting going into the draft. And your rankings this year, for those of, for the listeners that haven't seen it, it's Sam Darnold at the top, then Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, and then Lamar Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know, going back to the Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston draft and through today, so that includes um, the years in between being Goff and Wentz, Trubisky, Mahomes um, and company last year amongst all of those classes, like how would you rank your top five quarterbacks heading into the draft? Uh, that's a good question. And it's, it's kind of tough because I don't, I don't use like a number scale. So I don't have the, your, you know, the factual uh, evidence to just kind of, you know, rank them like that. So right, like Todd McShay has like a 92 grade on somebody. Or right, something like that. right. Exactly. You, you do a round grade. So you've got a first yeah. round grade on most of these guys, I would imagine. Right. And so I think what I would say is uh, I, I, I'd kind of break it up into tiers. And so I think on my top tier would be Jameis Winston and Sam Donald. I think those two are the, um, the highest graded quarterbacks uh, for me over the last what four years or so um and okay. ironically they have some there's some similarities between those two yeah uh, definitely. but I, I think those two have been the top tier and then the second tier i think would be composed of golf wentz because i had golf and wentz i'd golf ahead of wentz but they were like identical they were like seven and eight overall in my board um both top 10 picks both early first rounders uh, both of them would be on the second tier, and so would Mariota, and so would Trubisky. I think those four would be on that second tier. Um, third tier is probably Rosen, Mayfield, Mahomes, uh, and uh, Watson. So uh, you, then, so you. Sorry. This is just a just just um scouting uh, as prospects. Nothing. Try to. It, I'm, I'm ignoring everything they've done in the NFL to this point, just based on what I thought their grades were coming out of college. So you like, I want to make sure I heard you right with those tiers. You like Trubisky more than Rosen going into going into the draft. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I yeah, I was a big Trubisky fan. Um, I, I I think he, there's a he has a big uh, big future ahead of him. I think a big part of it is just mobility. Um, with Trubisky, I mean, I, I took a lot of heat last year for saying Trubisky was uh, a better athlete than Deshaun Watson. And, uh, 
I took a lot of heat for that, but that's to me, that's what I saw on tape, and that's what the, and the, the combine actually backed me up. So I, uh, you know, I, I was vindicated a little bit there. Um, but I, I think that's the big difference between the two. I mean, uh, Rosen might be the best or the better pure pocket passer, but in the NFL, I mean, that pocket just deteriorates quickly. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I do worry about Rosen in that respect. And so I, I would give the edge to Trubisky there. So it, I'm excited to hear you say that you have Darnold at your very top tier of all these quarterbacks because a handful of these quarterbacks have already been successful in the mm-hmm. NFL. Um, and you, I remember when we talked to you midway through the season, it was bye week, if, if our listeners remember, when we talked to you. So the draft was a million miles away. We never would have imagined we'd go winless the whole rest of the season. <laughs> but here we are. We and- could have imagined it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that far. Um, but you were talking about Darnold, and he had that rough start to the season. And you said going into the year, he was definitely your top guy, and it would be interesting to mm-hmm. see how it would play out. It seems like that's been solidified. Um, can you just tell us like how you're projecting um, Sam Darnold to the NFL? Like, what is it about him that puts him in that top tier for you? It is. It's kind of funny. I uh, went back, and I every after every draft, um, I have to. Uh, crank out a first round mock for the future or for the next year's draft. I mean, mm. it's completely pointless, but uh, <laughs> yeah. pe- people love it. So, you know, and I went back and I looked at the mock draft that I had to do or that I did right after the 2017 mock, or NFL draft last May. And um, I had Sam Darnold going number one to Cleveland. And so every single mock draft that I have done from last May up until now Darnold, Sam Darnold has gone to Cleveland at number one in every single one. So uh, we'll see if that's that, that holds true. I yeah, I don't know. I, it, it, I believe to me, if I'm gonna, if I have to choose one of these quarterbacks long term, I'm going Darnold. Um, I think when you look at him, he's 20 years old. What he's done to this point at only 20 years old, um, and then projecting him forward, I feel really good about his potential. I feel really good about. Uh, where his floor is, meaning, you know, I don't think he's going to bust um, at worst. You know, he's going to have, he's still going to have these turnover issues, but he's still going to keep you in games and help you win. Um, so, you know, I, but I do think he'll get better with the turnovers, uh, both the interceptions and the fumbles. I think that will improve. Uh, but what he shows, and I, I break it down into three key areas for Darnold his ability to anticipate passing windows, meaning before receivers are even open, before the window is even there, he is, he sees it and he delivers and he puts it where his uh, receiver can get it. Two, uh, ability to create off-platform, using his legs, his athleticism to move around and keep his eyes downfield and just make something happen. And he just has a little bit of magic to him in that respect. Um, and then the third is just the overall mental battle uh, that it takes to play the position. Uh, it's it's tough, and it's it overwhelms a lot of young quarterbacks. But what this guy shows at only 20 years old, he shows me that he can he can handle it. There's no question. And uh, in the NFL, it's 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 not going to be too big for him. So that that's a big part of this that I, I feel good about projecting. So those three key areas is, is why I have I think so highly of Darnold and why he's number one on my list. Awesome. I think the fact that he isn't even 21 years old yet is being missed yeah. in, in a lot of this, and there's so much potential there and so much development, even physically, that probably still needs to, to happen. The other- yeah, and it's, well, it's not only just the, the age, but it's also football years. When you right. go look back at his background, 
he was a linebacker and a wide receiver as a sophomore in high school. And then yeah. he finally took over as a quarterback as a junior, but he missed that entire year because he was hurt. So really just his senior year in high school in the last two years um, at USC, he's been, you know, the guy at quarterback. And so I, I, I think crazy. he's still, yeah, he's still young in quarterback years, meaning, you know, he's going to get better in areas where uh, a lot of these guys that have been, going to quarterback camp since, you know, they could walk. Uh, this is where he's, you know, he's going to get better and better. He, I think there's uh, there's a lot of room before he hits the ceiling. And in some respect, that's, that's a little worrisome because he does still have a lot of room to grow, but he's already a good quarterback right now. And so I, with everything that uh, he dealt with over the last two years, uh, yeah, I, I think you feel good about projecting him forward. Yeah. So the other guy that, um, keeps getting talked about to the Browns, which scares the crap out of me. All of us. Is, is, Josh, of us. is Josh Allen. And I know you mm-hmm. have him fourth on your list. Um, what are you hearing from teams about Josh Allen? I, he's got to be the most interesting person to talk to teams about because it's got to vary all across the board. Yeah, and there will, ne- there will not be a war room uh, or a front office in the NFL who is 100% on board with Josh Allen. There will be debates discussions arguments about him because some are going to be on board some are, are going to be are, are going to say no thanks you know and it's he's a very polarizing prospect because it's easy to see why you know you like him he's 6'5 240 pounds and he's a fantastic athlete with a golden arm um he's scouting catnip that's exactly what he is yeah. because the physical traits are off the charts and you know, it's it, it's tough because I, you don't make excuses for him, but you factor in what he had to work with at Wyoming this past year. I mean, he didn't, he's not playing with NFL talent around him, um, and that factors into the evaluation, and that, that's what makes it tough. That's what clouds it. Um, you're discouraged by the stats, the completion percentage. You're discouraged by how he performed against FBS uh, opponents. Uh, it, you know, those stats did not look good. He played four power five opponents, uh, in his career. He started Nebraska, BYU, Iowa, Oregon. And in those games, he threw for 50% completions, three touchdowns, 10 interceptions. So it's just, it's, it's tough to overlook that. But again, you take everything into account with who he's playing with and all that. And, and, you know, I mentioned this for Darnold, but he's also young in football years. I mean, he you know, he played in high school, went over, looked as a recruit, had to go to the JUCO level and then got hurt his first year at Wyoming. And so it's just really the last two years he's been playing at a high level. Um, and it's just, you know, you wonder, OK, once, you know, our, we got our, our coaches get our hands on him. How much are we going to be able to change? And it and it helps for him that he's a really good kid. I mean, he's smart. He's sharp. Yep. He has a high character. Um, you know, you feel good about the person. If he doesn't work out, it's not going to be because of lack of effort or work or anything like that. It, you know, it's just he's but he's a little tougher to project. And so, like I said, war rooms are going to be split on this guy. Uh, he could go one or, you know, he could slip a little bit. I, it, it's anybody's guess. So here's a quick follow up on Josh Allen. Um and I'm so, like, at a different level than you on this. Like, you're watching tape so much more than I am. Like, but I try to dabble in it. So when I – so tell me if I'm being an idiot whenever I'm, like, making this assessment. But when I watch Josh Allen, the thing that concerns me 
is kind of the innate quarterback um, tendencies that you'd like to see from a top quarterback talent, like navigating the pocket and looking off a safety and going through his reads and his progressions. I don't see any of those kind of innate abilities like from Josh Allen. Yes, he has the measurables like at the combine that look great, but I don't see those things like translating through his athleticism like actually on the football field or like he ha- evidently has the highest Wonderlic score of all these guys. I don't see him processing what's happening on the field to the same degree that some of these other quarterbacks are. Am I crazy, or um, is that what you've seen too? No, I mean I think you you got it nailed. Uh, I mean this is a guy who he's he's undeveloped in several key areas of playing the position. There's just there's no question, um, and I, I think you hit on several of those areas. You know, navigating the pocket, uh, being able to understand uh, the pass rush, pulling the trigger, um, you know, reading coverages, making whole field reads, uh, understanding uh, you know hot routes, and understanding where the you know, the vulnerable matchup is on the field. That that's from film study and pre snap reads, and there's so much that goes in. Obviously, so much that goes into the quarterback position. And he's undeveloped in a lot of those areas. Um, and it's, again, it goes back to what was he asked to do at Wyoming? You know, like how, what was he being coached up to do? And, you know, and but I, I do, th- you know, your point is valid about some of those innate things where when, you know, we saw it with Sam Darnold, when the pocket breaks down, it might not look pretty, but he makes something happen. Usually more, more times than not positive. Uh, with Josh Allen, you just don't see that all the time. You don't yeah. see uh, his ability to create and make something happen. So I, I don't think you're wrong at all. Cool. So we established very clearly on last time you were on the podcast that you were born and raised a Browns fan. You're going to be a Browns yeah. fan watching the draft, and the, they're going to go up to read the card. Which of these top five quarterbacks do you get mad at if the Cleveland <laughs> Browns select uh, number one? You know, I honestly, I would not get mad at any of them. Um, I, 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 Sam Darnold's my top quarterback. That's who I would prefer. Um, I have all five ranked in the top 32 of my top 100 boards. So I think all are worthy of a first round pick. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things where I am willing to give John Dorsey and his staff the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, they, I've been doing this a lot longer than I have and been doing it at a higher level. And so I, I, I'm giving, you know, I, I think they deserve the chance to be wrong before we tell them that they're wrong. And so, yes, I would prefer Sam Darnold, the number one pick, but I don't think I will be mad at any of them just because I, I'm willing to give them the chance to, you know, prove, that they made the wrong pick before I just assumed they did. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, so being a Browns fan your whole life, or not, mm-hmm. maybe not your whole life, but growing around Browns fans and growing up that way, um, mm-hmm. you know what it's like to be um, a suffering Browns fan. And the most recent wound is that we lost Joe Thomas. Um, so now there's all of a sudden this huge need at tackle. Um, so we need to draft a tackle, but this maybe isn't the best um, tackle offensive tackle draft that we've had in the most recent years. Where do you see the value for um, the Browns in drafting a, a tackle? Maybe at 1, 35, 33. Where would you see that? 
Well, I don't think it's one or four. I mean, there's we just don't have a top 10 tackle in this draft. And it, it, this is, yeah, you set it up. It's not a very tackle-heavy uh, class. Uh, and it's it, 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 it hurts even more that all 32 teams, it seems, need offensive tackle help. You know, and so... Um, <laughs> Literally every team. Yeah, no, it, it, offensive line depth, everyone's looking for help. And it, the Browns are one of the 32 teams that, that need that help. And so... Uh, you know, I, I think they're actually sitting pretty well. We'll, we're, we'll see how many go first round. I, I think that we're going to see. First round? You've only got two that have even a moderate first round grade. You've got first and second, first slash second grades on McGlinchey and Connor Williams. Yeah, and I think uh, Colton Miller, I think he's, he's got a good chance of going in the first. Um, Who's your I, number eight tackle? Yeah, I'm not a fan. And yeah, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll either look really smart or really dumb on that one. But, <laughs> uh, Sometimes you got to take risks. And that's where I have to include the disclaimer. I don't care about being right on draft day. You know, I don't, I don't care about uh, that in terms of my rankings. I care about being right three years from now. So we'll be, we'll we'll see about Colton Miller down the road, but we'll see how many go in the first. I I think McGlinchey goes in the first. He's the only one that I feel confident saying he's going to be a first round pick after that. Um, I think it's up in the air. And even McGlinchey, he's not a, like a can't-miss tackle that you just feel great about. I think he's a solid player who might never make a Pro Bowl. He'll just be kind of a solid starter in this league. And that's okay because, you know, God knows the NFL needs him. And um, I, it'll be interesting at 33 and 35 if any of them fall. I think uh, I'd love to see any of the top three um, in my rankings fall to them. McGlinchey, Connor Williams, or uh, Tyrell Crosby. If one of those three are available at 33 or 35, to me, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I know some Browns fans want to see Sean Coleman uh, for a year, see what he can do at left tackle. Uh, to me, I'm not passing on one of those three tackles if they're available for me uh, at, with one of those early second-round picks. And, you know, who knows? Maybe they package one of those early second-rounders uh, to go up in the late first, get the tackle, and get that extra fifth-year control. Um, I think that's something that can't be ruled out. Uh, as a possibility so um it, it'll be interesting to see what they do but yeah i think i mean you guys obviously know tackle definitely yeah. uh, a need they need to look at early how far up in the draft do you think we would have to move to get mcglinchy where do you think he goes uh i think the earliest we could see him go is probably chargers like 17 around there um that is probably the earliest i could see him going and then you know you look at New England at 23, uh, you know, with Nate Solder mm-hmm. moving on, they could use tackle help. Um, Cincinnati needs tackle help in the worst way at 21. So it, I think there's a good chance McGlinchey goes somewhere in the top 23 picks. Okay. So um, it seems like these guys are all over the board when it comes to tackles. Like, mm-hmm. they, like you've got Colton Miller's number eight, but you also said that you wouldn't be surprised to see him go in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um I am curious because as a Browns fan, we're looking at our roster right now, and we've got Sean Coleman at, slated at left tackle as the best, worst option that we've got. How do these, some of these guys compare, do you think? like So you've got you, Tyrell Crosby going in your mock draft to the Browns. Mm-hmm. Um, how does he compare to a Sean Coleman? Um, we have Brian O'Neill kind of graded similarly. Like, How do those guys compare to a Sean Coleman? Is that even much of an upgrade for the Browns? 
Well, you know, it, it's tough because I, I want to know. I, I mean, Sean Coleman, when he was coming out of Auburn, you know, he missed all that time because he had cancer. And, you know, he just he was so raw as a prospect um, coming out of college because of the, all the time that he missed. And he was not in the best football shape. Um, and I mean, I, I liked the pick when they made it because I thought it was a good value pick uh, projecting him forward. Uh, but I, I, we haven't really had a chance to see him at his best. And so I was a little disappointed last year when, I mean, Joe Thomas went down with an injury. We saw Spencer Drango at left tackle. Um, we didn't get a chance to see Sean Coleman there. Um, so, you know, I, I think that we haven't seen the best of Sean Coleman yet. And so there is a part of me as well that would like to see him give him a chance at left tackle. But, um, you know, I'm, uh, that would not stop me from drafting, you know, Tyrell Crosby at 33 or 35 and just, you know, letting them duke it out uh, during camp and, you know, let the, the best man win. Um, and so I, I do think that there is some hope for Sean Coleman because I do think that there is some un- more untapped potential there that we could see this season. Um, this is what his third year in the league yeah. um, coming up. So I do think that there's there's something there. But it would not stop me from dra- drafting one of those top three tackles on my board. Okay, yeah, and that and that makes sense. Um, an- another deep position in this class, like quarterback, is is running back. There's a bunch of running backs on the board, especially in the first uh, two or three, two or three rounds. Um, a lot of Browns fans are infatuated with Saquon, Bar- Saquon Barkley and want us to take him either at one or four. We are not in that mindset we the three of us are not in that mindset. we we don't want that to happen yeah. but do you think that it's in john dorsey and the browns front offices like character to take a running back that high or is it just kind of like a cardinal sin that they won't do it i think john dorsey believes in taking the best player available and so if he truly believes that saquon barkley would make the biggest impact for this team i don't think he'd hesitate in taking them um but if you look at John Dorsey's track record, um, you know, from Kareem Hunt in the third round last year to, uh, you know, back to his Green Bay days, it, it's we don't see them drafting a, a running back early. So I, I do think it's unlikely. Um, but again, I, I think John, John Dorsey believes in taking the best player available uh, that will help impact the, the, the Cleveland Browns. And if, if he thinks that on offense that Saquon Barkley would make that much of an impact, then you can't rule it out. But I mean, when you look at his running back class, and you mentioned it, it's a deep group. And in my mock, um, I'm actually working on a seven-round mock draft right now that I hope to have out this week. Uh, (laughs) I'm just crossing my face. Last year, was it last year? Last year or the year before, uh, I try to do one of these every year. And I did one, and uh, a trade happened or something. and just screwed it all up. And it was was awful. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I'm, I, I try to track the top 30 visits. And I mean, I try to make this. I, I don't throw it together in an hour. I take days working right. on this thing. So, uh, But, I mean, I, I, I'm mapping, mapping it out. And I liked what I did in my last month draft where I had, you know, quarterback one, Chubb four, uh, then uh, corner and tackle at 33 and 35. And then at 64, I, I think there's going to be valuable uh, running backs there available for them. Uh, it could be Chubb. It could be Rashad Penny. Um, I think there's going to be some several running backs there that make a lot of sense. I'd love to see Nick Chubb uh, in Cleveland, see what he can do. I mean, I, as much as I love Barkley, I don't think there's a huge drop off. And we're talking the difference between the fourth pick and a 64th pick. So um, I, I'd certainly under Barkley is great. 
no question. But I certainly understand the thinking that, hey, we'll wait on our running back. There's plenty of good ones in this draft. So before we get off a of running back, I have a, right. I, I have stated multiple times on this podcast that I'm scared about Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a tremendous, like phenomenal, otherworldly athlete that cannot run between the tackles. And I am so scared of this guy showing up and like being really good in the screen game, being really good in the passing game. And like when he pops it outside, he's going to have some big plays, but not being able to run between the tackles all three downs. And because I don't see it that consistently on tape. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like your thoughts on what the floor is for Saquon Barkley, because I think everybody sees Saquon Barkley and sees the ceiling and it's hard to not just go there. But I think there's a pretty low floor from what I'm seeing, and I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are. Like, what is a path for Saquon Barkley to fail in the NFL, like a la Trent Richardson? Well, yeah, and it's it's funny you brought up Richardson because I, I one thing that scares me about running backs, uh, the ones who stop their feet in the backfield, like that that's what worries me. Um, and that's what was Trent Richardson's undoing. Uh, in the NFL, and that's what you see a little bit from Saquon Barkley. Now, the big difference is Saquon Barkley is so much more – he's more freaky of an athlete. So he can get away with it a little more because he can create and figure out ways to uh, kind of make – you know, rectify things. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's still it, – it, I'm with you. I understand completely the concern. I, and, and I think I'm not as worried about the floor as much as you are just because he is such a phenomenal athlete. And he is so good in, the, in as, as a receiver. I mean, he he can do almost everything that Christian McCaffrey can do as a receiver. You know, so line him up in the slot. So I'm not as much worried about the floor because of all the different things that he can do on the football field. But I think it is a valid concern um, and something that uh, is part of his evaluation. Um, it would not scare me from drafting him in the top five if it was right for my team. Uh, you know, we look at it two years ago with Zeke it made sense for the Cowboys to take him fourth overall last year with Leonard Fournette and the Jaguars, the roster, the way that things were set up, it made sense for them. And for a team this year, um, you know, it would make sense for them if their roster is set up that way. So uh, for Saquon Barkley, I do have some of those same concerns, but it would not stop me from drafting him early just because I do think the potential is so great and he's so good of an athlete that, uh, you know, it, it's going to mask some of those other issues. Okay. And so we've talked about Saquon Barkley, and you said that John Dorsey will take the best player available. How do you mm-hmm. evaluate the best player available? Is that, like, in a vacuum, or is that within the guise of your team? Like, is, well, is it – That's, you get my that's point? it right there. Yeah. Yeah, no, you that, – and that's a good way to – because I, I – like, I'm not – when I do my draft guide and I do – I talk about prospects – I'm not doing it with a scheme in mind or I'm not doing it with a, a team. Like I'm not scouting for a team where I have a specific culture set. I have a specific roster that I'm trying to build. Um, you know, I don't have, uh, a, you know, a certain coaching staff that likes to run, you know, whether it's a zone blocking scheme in the run game or a three, four compared to, uh, you know, how running you know, certain sub packages and, it, it, all of that goes into what these teams are doing, and that's why a lot of teams, their draft boards are like 150 names. You know, we, they don't have yeah. thousands of names up there. It's just it's probably 150 guys, you know, closer to 200 for some other teams. But you know, it's just the guys they identify as fitting 
their culture, fitting their scheme, fitting what they do. And so I take the approach of basically the 33rd team, you know, without any of those parameters and just saying, okay, uh, you know, this player is, you know, uh, or, you know, Isaiah Oliver, uh, he's your classic press man corner. So that's, you know, that, that's where he would fit best and that kind of thing. So um, when we talk about what John Dorsey is going to do for the best player available in his mind, when he looks at the makeup of the roster, he might see Bradley Chubb as being the most, uh, the best player available because well, A, it's the position that he plays. Besides quarterback, pass rusher is the most important position on the roster. Yep. And then B, you know, they what they have at running back with Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde, they can add a running back in the second or third round and be just fine compared to pass rush, which if you don't get your guy early, you, you're probably not going to get your guy. So it, it, it definitely, uh, when we talk about best player available, you know, it's uh, – it's a little broad topic that means that'll mean something different from team to team. That makes sense. So we're going to move to wide receiver here real quick. Um, Mm -hmm. It was interesting looking at your rankings. The one thing that jumps out to me as I look at your receiver rankings is you have Anthony Miller seemingly higher than a lot of others on your board. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what you like about Anthony Miller? And I, I actually talked about this on our podcast a couple weeks ago. He looks quite good on tape, but then the other day I looked at the UCF tape, and it seemed like um, their corner, what's his face, Mike Hughes, Mike, Mike Hughes, Hughes just completely mm-hmm. owned him in that game, and that drew a little bit of question mark. So I'm interested to hear um, your thoughts on him in particular. Yeah, no, I, I like Miller a, a lot. Uh, it, I think he's a really good player, and uh, you can line him up outside, you can line him up inside in the slot. I do think that at times yeah, he will struggle versus press. Um, you definitely see that a little bit. But I, I think you also see him, the ability to uncover. Uh, and that comes from his routes. That comes from just his athleticism. Um, and then his ability to get open before and after the catch. Um, yeah, he's His toughness, uh, the guy wants it, and he plays like that. And so – um, I, I don't know. He's just, I, you watch him and you just can't help, but just kind of fall in love with him. The yeah, fact he's that he's so a competitive, walk on, you just watch oh, it yeah. and you can tell how much he's like competing and fighting. And he like, yeah, I completely well, and, get that as a former walk on. You have to be, I mean, it, to go from, and cause he had FCS offers, but he wanted to play at the highest level that he could. So he walks on at Memphis. It didn't take him long to earn a scholarship. And then next thing you know, he's breaking all of Isaac Bruce's school records. And so, there, you know, with uh, uh, 37 touchdowns over his career, 18 as a senior, uh, you know, you can't help but get a little bit of that Antonio Brown vibe where he's not the biggest, he's not the fastest, but he just plays really fast and he plays just natural. And he'll have some drops. He'll His focus will come in and out at times. He's looking to make a big play before he secures the catch. But He's just a big-time playmaker, and uh, I, I, yeah, I, I would definitely look at him somewhere in that late first, early second-round range, which is probably earlier than he'll go. Uh, he probably won't be the third receiver off the board, but I don't think he's going to have to wait that long. Yeah, I mean, he seems like a guy, and I don't know, it seems to me that there's going to be a nice run on receivers in the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see how many actually go in the first 
Um, but those top five or six guys seem like they're going to go by the end of the second round, I would, I would guess. And Anthony yeah. Miller would be an interesting one if he's still sitting there at the end of the second round for the Browns. Um, at that 64 mm. spot, that same spot where you were talking about the running back um, being a good value for us. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I think, I think you're right about the second round receivers. I, I think Ridley and Moore, DJ Moore, both go in the first. And then in the second, uh, Cortland Sutton, uh, he, well, Cortland Sutton could go in the first. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. If not, he'll go in the early second. Um, I think DJ Chark is going to go somewhere in the early to mid second. Anthony Miller is, yeah, right there, mid, somewhere in the mid-second probably. Um, it, it may be late second, we'll see. Uh, Equiminius, St. Brown, he's in that mix. Um, and some of these other senior wide receivers could sneak in there uh, if a team really likes James Washington um, and, of course, Christian Kirk. Uh, so, yeah, no, I think you you hit the nail on the head. These receivers, we're going to see a run on them in, some, in the second round. So it's interesting for anyone that hasn't seen Dane's rankings. He's got Calvin Ridley as number one, DJ Moore as the second receiver, and then Anthony Miller coming in after them. Um, and then he has Cortland Sutton and Equinemius St. Brown. I think I said that right. Um, yeah, he did. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, who's an interesting one? Um, like I, it's just like it feels like a tall tale reading about Equinemius St. Brown. You read your draft guide, yeah. and his dad's like a professional, all class world bodybuilder. Right. And like it's just unbelievable. It seems like it's like written in like a kid's like storybook or something. It's crazy. Um, tell us a little bit more about him because I don't think a lot of people, unless you're a Notre Dame fan, know a whole lot about um, him. He's a top five receiver on your board. Well, and the reason he is is because you know I, I think he is one of two receivers in this draft that I think have number one potential. Uh, a, a chance to be a number one receiver Who's in the this other draft. One? Uh, Cortland Sutton. Okay. Um, and they're, they're four and five in my ranking. So, and, and that's a big reason why they're, they are where they are in the ranking. So, um, you know, it's something where, uh, and when I say number one receiver, I'm talking about the Julio Jones, AJ Green, like that type of group. And it's, which is rarefied air, but it, you know, and that's, and Calvin Ridley, DJ Moore, I love them. I think they're outstanding players. They belong in the first round. I see them more as high-end number twos, which you need those guys to win. You know, those are starters. Um, but to be in the class of, uh, you know, Allen Robinson even, I think he qualifies as their number one. Um, and the rest of the guys I mentioned, I mean, there's only like, what, 10, 12 true number ones. Maybe even that might be more than that, but uh, or more than uh, – there may not be that many. Uh, but Equimini St. Brown and Cortland Sutton, I think, both have a shot to get in that uh, category because they're both uh, so much of their draft stocks based on potential with St. Brown. You have a guy six, five, 215 pounds, really good athlete. Uh, he ran in the four fours um, and you see 33 inch arms. You see just a huge body. Um, and, and he's not really that thick, which is interesting yeah. since his dad was, you know, uh, <laughs> all world, but he's, he's ripped. But he, yeah, he is. He's definitely ripped. I mean, he came in at 214, which is a little more than I expected at the combine, but um, he's more lean muscle than he is, you know, bulky. And, you know, that's okay. I think he can help you out at all three levels of the defense. Um, he definitely needs to be a little more physical with his routes um, and at the catch point, but he has potential to be a number one type of receiver. Uh, there's a lot to like there. And so, because of those reasons, I, I think he has a chance to go uh, be a top 40 pick this year. That's awesome. So real quick, before we move on from receiver, 
Um, are there any guys kind of on the back end where you see a whole lot of value? I know a player that we're really interested in watching is Antonio Callaway, being uh, mm-hmm. Florida Gator fans, all three of us. Um, but there's a bunch of other – and I've seen mocks with him even going in the second round, which would be crazy, but probably matches his talent level. Um, anyone else kind of down in the do back you, end? Do you happen to have my draft guide open? I do. Yeah, you have him ranked as the 21st. It's got 21st. an awesome quote. That awesome I'd say quote. Read, read the last last line of his weaknesses. Okay, I've been, I'm scrolling down there because he's in the 20s. I was he's, at Equinomius St. Brown. Oh, it was, yeah, it was I think you I think you texted it to us, Michael, when you read it. Matthew did, yeah. And so you said one NFL scout said he'll fail at least one drug test in the NFL. Put that in your guide. <laughs> yep, that's, uh, and that, that kind of sums up Callaway. Um you know, he's he's really talented. There's no doubt about that. He's a sudden athlete. Uh, I mean, he just looks like he's moving at a different gear out there uh, than everybody else. And that was an SEC competition. But he's just so unreliable um, on the field and off the field. He'll have his drops. As a punt returner, he lets you down because he's the focus is just not consistent. And off the field, you just don't know what to expect. Um, I, going talking with the Combine, I didn't come away you know feeling any better about it um he's just he's a guy who has a lot of issues and i depend i mean i he was very wide-eyed at the combine and i don't think he convinced anybody that um you know he's he he has things turned around so i think he'll get drafted because the talent is is there but it's gonna have to be i'd be shocked if he went in the top 100 personally just because there's there's so many red flags there I think he's going to be a day three player. Uh, someone will take a chance on him, and we'll see. Maybe he'll get things turned around, and the team that drafts him will, you know, put a put a babysitter on him and make sure he stays out of trouble. But it's a big if. Um, I, there, there's a lot of wide receivers in this group that I like. Um, Doris Fountain from Northern Iowa is a guy that I feel, you know, proud because I was I've been touting him since October. Uh, really liked him out of Northern Iowa. I was surprised he didn't get a combine invite. He should have. Uh, but this is a guy who has a lot of talent. Um, I think he's probably at least a year away. So, you know, he's probably a fourth, fifth rounder. Um, and I don't expect him to have a huge rookie season, but I think going into 2019, I think that's where you feel good about him. Uh, you know, really hitting a stride, becoming a better player. Um, Traquan Smith from UCF. I don't think he gets go, enough Matthew. love. My boy. Matthew yeah, he's a good UCF. player. UCF. Uh, he's, <laughs> He, uh, you know, one of those late bloomers, didn't play football until I think it was junior year in high school. Um, and he's been the guy at UCF the last three years. Uh, he's been a big reason why they found success, why they went undefeated. Um, yeah, he, there's a lot to like there about Traquan Smith. There's actually, he reminded me a little bit of Allen Robinson with what he did on the field. And so I think that, I, I mean, I felt kind of disappointed in myself. I only gave him a third round grade. I think I should have had higher him. than others actually. On right. Him. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, if, if he's there in the fourth round, gosh, yeah, I, I run to the, the podium and uh, take a chance on him there. He seems like a phenomenal athlete has the longest arms I've ever seen on a wide receiver. And he can, he's like a long strider. Like he can beat guys down the field, but he seems like he doesn't know how to run a route. Like, the crispness on his routes seems non-existent. Yeah, he's very leggy with his routes, where he doesn't, 
It, it, I can it relate. <laughs> yeah, wait till right. we release the videos of Matthew running the forty to come. You'll see. You'll see that exactly. Right. It, it, it's it's something he needs to work on, no question, uh, and get better at. But yeah, I, I think he's his speed is almost deceiving because you don't expect him to be that fast. But you know, he's a four four athlete at six two, two hundred five pounds. Um, like you said, he's got long arms. Uh, he plays with power. He plays physical. He'll go up and get the uh, get the ball out of the oh, yeah. air. Um, I think he was like he had over forty uh, catches of twenty plus yards, I believe, um, over his career, which is a great number. Um, so yeah, that, there's a lot to like about him. So um, shifting gears a little bit, Dane, in one of your more recent mock drafts, you have Bradley Chubb going to the Browns for number four overall, which we all love. We are all huge proponents of that. Um, I've heard a lot of talk comparing Miles Garrett and Bradley Chubb and pairing them mm-hmm. together. Uh, I've heard some people even say that Bradley Chubb's better than Miles Garrett. What do you mm-hmm. see between those two guys in comparison, and how do you think that they would um, be on the field together? Um, would they be unstoppable? Would we win a Super Bowl immediately? <laughs> these are, these are, this is what I want to know, Dane. Yeah, by the bye week at least. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... No, he'd be fun. I mean, that'd be you're talking about two uh, two guys that could literally be two of the top five pass rushers in the NFL at some point in their careers. I mean, Miles Garrett, I thought that was the easy number one pick last year. This year with Bradley Chubb, uh, he's, I think, an easy top five pick. Um, There's so much to like about him. The production is there. He had over 22 tackles for loss each of the last two years, double digit sacks both years. Uh, broke all of Mario Williams' records. Um, now they're different. You know, he's not that s- just pure speed rusher off the edge. I mean, he's not slow, but he's not like Miles Garrett in terms of just the freaky athleticism. Um, but with Chubb, he just has a little bit better understanding of what he's doing right now. Um, he seems and like a really mature player at this point. He, he is. And it, it, he's a prime example of a guy going back for a senior year and it working out for the best, you know, like he could have came out last year. He probably would have been maybe a second round pick. Um, if he came out, maybe stuck uh, in the late first, if he tested well, but, uh, you know, he was viewed as probably a second round pick. If he came out, he comes back for a senior year and he just improved, 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 uh, not only just with his pass rush skill, but his instincts, his ability to track the football. Um, I, I what I love most about him is, his ability to adjust to what blockers are doing. You know, he's not just a one trick pony out there. He understands the dance. He understands, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what a blocker's trying to do to keep, to shield him from the pocket. And he can counter that with power. He can counter with hand swipes. He can counter with, uh, you know, a shoulder dip. And I mean, he, he's able to process very quickly what he needs to do. And a lot of that's from preparation. A lot of it's just from understanding the opponent that he's going against. And then, you know, in the, in the heat of the moment, he understands what to do. And he, he's just a really good player. And that's why if he's there at four, um, I don't think the Browns would pass. I, I think that there's a good chance they trade out of that pick. If they get a good deal, say from Buffalo who, you know, but they'd have to overpay for that fourth pick. I don't think Cleveland's just going to go back for anything. They'd have to overpay because I think they're perfectly fine staying there for and taking the pass rusher. Yeah, I'm praying that Saquon Barkley goes off the board of the Giants, so it's not even a temptation for the Browns at four, and then it makes the four pick that much more valuable so we can get a King's Ransom. 
yeah, it, there's a good chance that could happen because with Denver picking five, uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe Denver will try. We'll just move up one spot, um, to, it, which might even be that might be the best scenario. If I think so. Denver's too. Denver's worried about Buffalo coming up. Denver moves up one spot to get their quarterback. Uh, Cleveland still gets the guy they want at five, and they pick up a third round or a third and a fourth in the process, or you know, same thing that happened to the the Bears last year, moving up one spot for Trubisky. It's you know probably not necessary, but with so many other teams calling the Browns at four. Uh, no, I think you're right. I think there's a, there's a good chance that if that did happen, that would be the prime example of uh, a win-win. So I think it'd be great for the Browns to get a pass rusher no matter what happens. So obviously mm-hmm. Bradley Chubb would be great. If we're at four, maybe move back a spot at five, we could still get him. But if we do make that trade with Buffalo or somebody in that same range, that kind of gets the next tier of guys into play. In your right. rankings, you've got Marcus Davenport as two and Harold Landry at three. And I think a lot of folks have those two flipped, where Landry is the the next pass rusher off the board or next on the rankings for folks. What do you like about Davenport over Landry? And I have them, like on my top 100 board, their tags are touching. You know, it's like 12 and 13, I think, overall. So I think they're very close. But if I if I needed a pass rusher right now to you know get me a sack, I'm taking Harold Landry. Um, but for a guy that is going to be on my team the next five years, I give just the slightest edge to Davenport because of his potential uh, to get better and better. Um, this is a guy who's still figuring things out, uh, but the ability to be you know a, a much better player is there. You know, almost six six, two hundred sixty five pounds. He plays with power, plays with athleticism needs to develop a little more nuance with his pass rush, but I'm a big fan of Davenport, um, what he is now, and then also what he can be. I th- think he's an ascending player getting better and better. But like I said, Harold Landry, he's right there, um, and he's, he's the better player right now. Uh, so either player, I think, would be should be in consideration if they did make that trade back. Got it. So looking at... Um, still on the defense, but looking at another need for the Browns, which is slightly less of a need after our um, free agent activity. But you've got Minka Fitzpatrick still ranked number two. I know when we talked to you during the season, um, you viewed Minka as probably one of the best players in the draft, if not mm-hmm. the best player overall. Um, you've still got him at number two. A lot of people see him sliding down the board. How do you evaluate him as his best position probably being slot corner coming into the league? How does that affect his value um, for teams going forward? Well, and see, I, I, I don't know. I, I struggle with that because, yeah, I think that he can, he projects best as a nickel corner, but he can play outside corner just fine, in my opinion. Um, based on and that's a projection because we haven't seen him do it at a high enough at a high level. But you know, people use the term uh, jack of all trades, master of none when yep. you talk about some of these versatile defensive backs. To me, Mika Fitzpatrick's uh, jack-of-all-trades, master-of-all-trades. If you want him to play safety, he can do that, either safety spot. If single high in the box, nickel, uh, you want to play on the outside. I mean, he can do all of those things, and I would feel completely comfortable with him doing it. And so um, it's something where, I mean, my overall rankings, I have Quentin Nelson one. I think he's the best football player in this draft. Now, would I take him one? No, um, 
you know, it just depends on the makeup of my roster and, you know, how all that plays out. And the same thing's true with Mika Fitzpatrick. Um, you know, it, just because I have him ranked two doesn't mean I would take him with a second overall pick. But, you know, depending on the makeup of my roster, uh, I would not hesitate to take him early. Uh, I'm a big fan of what he can do. There's, again, a little bit of a projection with him as an outside corner. But uh, I, I just I, I feel really strongly about him and how he projects. And, uh, you know, if it's going to be free safety, fine. If it's going to be outside corner, fine. I, I just want uh, Minka Fitzpatrick on my football team. Yeah. So you're John Dorsey for a day on draft day. Quarterbacks go one, two, three. Browns are staring Minka Fitzpatrick, Bradley Chubb, and Saquon Barkley in the face at number four. Who's and, and Buffalo wants to trade up. <laughs> okay. Uh, what is the decision, Dane Brugler? That's a great question, and I uh, for the Cleveland Browns. There's, there's a good thing that there's a few more weeks until the draft, because uh, so I can think about it. Uh, it's uh, I, it would be between out. it would be between Minka and and Chubb. Um, I think it Minka is my highest higher rated player, but Chubb's number three, um, and he plays a more premium position. So I I would throw, I mean I, that would be a tough debate for me because I think you're two really good players. Minka, I've rated as the better player, but, um, you know, it just I, it might come down to what you value more, the pass rush position or uh, a versatile chess piece in the secondary. Um, and, you know, right here, right now, this very second, I think I would probably say Chubb, but tomorrow I might say Fitzpatrick just because, uh, I mean, we're talking about two really good players that there's not much separation in terms of, impact potential um i think they're they're both going to make an impact in the nfl and i think both would make the browns better on defense from day one and it's true that whatever buffalo is offering probably factors into that too right if they're giving us their number one and their their two first rounders this year um that's kind of a that's kind of a hard you know offer to pass up it would be um that would be i they'd have to throw in a sweetener for me um you know, the two first rounders and then they'd have to throw in uh you know, one of the second rounders that they have. You know, they've got and two. the first rounder next year? Uh I wish. See uh, that's what I'm looking at. If they throw in a first rounder next year, in addition to their two this year, uh that's that's enough for me to pull the trigger on that one. Oh yeah. Uh, you do that in a heartbeat if they do that. Uh I I, I think I would move back. I would feel okay moving back for the two ones and then one of their second round, their highest, whatever their highest second rounder is, uh, which is like mid second round somewhere. Um, that would probably be enough for me. So instead of Bradley Chubb, I'm getting three players. I'm getting, McGlinchey. say, well, yeah, say, yeah, say McGlinchey, say, say Davenport falls to you at uh, 22 and then say in the third round, you know, you get your running back there. And I feel really good about those three players for, for Bradley Chubb. Yeah, completely agree. So you've got a corner going to the Browns in your recent mock draft. You've got Isaiah Oliver um, going to the Browns Um, of the quarter of the corners that are kind of in that class. Can you kind of give us a little sense of, the guys that are going to be there um, in the second round for the Browns to take? Because I do think it's pretty unlikely that the Browns are going to take one if we stay at one and four. So we're talking at 33, 35, and 64 as potential options. 
Yeah, now it'll be interesting to see what corners go in the first. Um, you know, like Josh Jackson, Mike Hughes. I think these guys are first round picks, but there's always the chance they, you know, someone's going to slip out of the the first round. You know, that we don't expect. Um, you know, I think last year was Kevin King from Washington, who, you know, we the last few weeks of the before the draft, we heard he's a first rounder, he's a first rounder, he's a first rounder, and then he was still available. Goes pretty early uh, on the second round. This year, you know, Mike Hughes, could he fall a little bit uh, with the off-the-field concerns? Josh Jackson has some concerns himself. Uh, I have Isaiah Oliver slotted there. Um, I There's just a lot to like about Oliver. He's I, and I think Dorsey will love him because he's a classic press man corner. That's what Dorsey loves. And uh, the arm length, 33-and-a-half-inch arms, that's longer than several offensive tackles in this class. And he's just, he's a, he's a, he was a decathlete in college. I and mean, he's a really good athlete. Uh, the ball production's there. He had uh, over 14 passes defended each of the last two years. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm basically, I'm telling you why he should be a first round pick. So right. if he's still there at 33, um, to me, that would make a ton of sense. Uh, I'd be happy with that. No problem from, from Michael Kuhn. Yeah, I trust you, Dane. I, <laughs> if, if that. <laughs> I want that to happen. So let's make it happen. So Dane, are there uh, you? You heard it here first on the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. Are there any bold predictions from Dane Brugler for what's going to happen in the first round of this draft? Um, bold predictions. Um, let me see here. I think uh, like six quarterbacks going in the first round, or anything crazy like that. Yeah, it's. I don't know. I'm still holding. I've, I've heard that. I'm still holding out hope that teams aren't that crazy to draft Mason Rudolph <laughs> in the first round, but, you know. But I love are. how much you dislike Mason Rudolph. It makes me happy. Yeah, well, I like good quarterbacks. <laughs> uh, we, we should get Kian Fahey on the on the podcast, too, to debate this, because he loves Mason link, Rudolph. Just link them together uh, and just have him duke it out. It'd be great. I'm, I'm, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> uh, I, let me see, what's a, what's a bold prediction? I, I, don't, I don't know if, I, I think all of my bold predictions that I had are no longer bold. They're kind of just accepted. Like uh, Leighton Vanderesh, uh, the Boise State linebacker, um, you know, at the combine, I said this guy is going to be uh, a top twenty pick, or I think a top yeah. twenty two pick at the time. Um, and um, you know, I still, I mean, I still feel that way, but I feel like that's not bold anymore. Um, I think Colton Miller uh, is going to go in the top twenty five. Um, whether or not he should, you know, it's a different discussion. But I think there's a good chance that he does. Uh, Lorenzo Carter from Georgia, who I have a third-round grade on. Um, I think he's going to go in the first. Um, and that's just because he's a freaky athlete who can do a lot of things. And if he goes to the right scheme, like uh, the Patriots, uh, you know, a defensive coach that knows what he's doing and can, and can work with that, then they might have something, but I'm just—I think he's more of an off-ball linebacker who can occasionally rush, but you want him in space. And so Lorenzo Carter, for me, I have a third-round grade on him, but I think a team is going to get infatuated with that athleticism and end up taking him in the first. I hope they do because it's going to drop somebody really great to the Browns at 33. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's what—that's what I'm rooting for. So you have—I'm um, a UCF grad, Dane, and mm-hmm. you have Shaquem Griffin at 10 on your board. What is the highest that you see him possibly going? Like, what is you have a third, fourth round grade on him? Do you think anybody's going could reach for him in the second, or do you think kind of his like ceiling is that third round? Oh, I mean, he can go second. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with Shaquem Griffin is 
you know, he's probably not an NFL starter, but he can still play a high number of snaps, you know, depending on how your defense uses sub packages and how they're going to use Griffin. So you just have to have a plan for him, you know, because you don't want him doing the same thing every snap. You want him blitzing. You want him dropping. You want him just all over the place using that play speed, using that motor. Um, and, you know, you just want him on special teams. And so for a specific team, that might fit what they're looking for uh, in, you know, say this is the late second round. And so I don't think it's impossible for him to go um, at that point. And so I, I think that, you know, late second round is possible. I think third round probably more likely. Um, you know, I gave, yeah, I put a third, fourth on him. That's just, you know, my general, I don't have a team that I'm drafting for, but just my general thought, you know, he's again, a sub package player who I'm going to figure out ways to scheme him into what I want to do. And I think he's going to be an outstanding player for me, but again, he's not going to be a starter and you just have to kind of work around him a little bit, but a team might be more, they might have the roster to do that. Um, and so that could drive up his value, uh, into the top. 60 top 75 picks is that you say he's a sub package player is that because you don't like him against the run and you're you worry about him on early downs or or why is that yeah it's because i mean i think you you to be a take on player in the nfl um you know especially against the run especially on early downs you know that's something that he would get exposed a little bit um now you know he's Obviously, what he's done with one hand is phenomenal, um, you know, to make as many tackles as he did to work off contact and uh, not stay locked up uh, and engage with blockers is just phenomenal. Uh, but it's just it's going to be a different ask going from the AAC to the NFL and dealing with NFL blockers and right. NFL ball carries he has to bring on the ground. And so I do think that there were, there are some limitations there. Um, but I, and I think, but I, so I think he's more of a sub package and special teams demon. So when I say sub package, I just, I mean, I want him, uh, you know, just doing different things. I want, I'm going to bring him in on passing downs and let him drop. I'm going to bring him in, uh, on certain, uh, certain coverages and let him blitz. And just, so you have to kind of be accommodating to his skill set and not just leaving him out there on an Island doing the same thing every time, every snap. Right. Okay. Dane. I have a dream for draft night, and I want you to tell me whether it's possible or not. Okay. My dream is that Darius Geis falls out of the first round and the Browns can take him at 33. Is there any chance of this happening? Um, I'd say there's a chance, sure. Um, you know, <laughs> so I, you're saying there's a chance? There, there's definitely a chance. I think with with Darius Geis, um, there's, I've heard concerns around the league about um, – not so much his character, but just his background. Um, you know, once he gets to an NFL team, the, the entourage that's going to come with him. So I've heard that concern. I've heard some teams are worried about the medicals. Um, you know, he wasn't necessarily red flagged for anything at LSU. And he was dinged up quite a bit. But he runs so hard, so angry, so physical that there are a lot of times where instead of trying to make a guy miss, he tries to go through, through the player. And that's it, it, it's why you want to draft him. That's why I but love him. Exactly. Absolutely. There's no question. But at the same time, in terms of longevity, um, you know, how is that going to work out? You know, you can't help the team. If, he's a running uh, back. He's replaceable. Yeah, he's a running back. You get him for his rookie year and then one. you get rid of him. Well, sure. But, I mean, you're talking about a 33rd overall pick. Yeah. You know, you want more than that from the 33rd overall Absolutely. pick. And so, 
Well, but basically I'm saying this to for reasons why he could fall out of the top 32. Mm-hmm. I think it's unlikely. I think there's um, a team that will take him. Actually, right now I'm working on, like I said, the seven-round mock, and I've got the Eagles taking him at 32. I'd be so, so mad. That would be the worst. Yeah. <laughs> One spot ahead. There. But, hey, hey, you never know. Like I said, it, there's a good chance we see Cleveland maybe move up in the late first to get their guy, whether it's an offensive lineman, whether it's Darius Geis, whether it's someone else, you get that fifth-year option, um, you know, and it, it could work out. Yeah, it makes oh, a lot yeah. of sense to me. Back-to-back years with three first-round picks, I wouldn't Ooh, hate it. Wouldn't Not hate bad. it at all. Um, so, Dane, how many hours in total do you think you spent um, watching tape, scouting all these players, writing all this out for people like us? Uh, I, I couldn't tell you. Give I mean, me. I, 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 I could, could ask your my wife, wife tell us. I <laughs> say, yeah, I, I could ask her, and I just, I mean, my my lovely, beautiful wife, uh, who I adore, uh, would probably give me a nasty look because it's a, a lot of hours that, um, you know, and it's unfortunately what it takes to do something yeah. like this. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for doing it. We we've enjoyed reading it. Um, tell all the good people out there, the Browns fans who are listening, who just want to know what the Browns options are, where they can find your guide. Uh, best way is on Twitter at DP Brugler. I, I have a pinned at the top of my timeline. There's a link. It's an automatic PDF download. Um, it's some people choose to print it out. Some people just, you know, pull it up on their iPads, whatever. Um, but as soon as you put in your information, uh, you just click the link and it's a PDF goes to your screen. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I say this with, you know, I'm not gonna be right on every pick, but that's why I, I, I really, I market my guide as a resource more than anything. So it's, you know, when the, the Browns draft, uh, you know, Nick DeLuca, a linebacker from North Dakota state in the seventh round, you can pull up the guide and know everything you need to know about him. Not only his background, but what he did in college, what he projects, his skill set, all that. So um, I, I use it more as a resource more than anything. Yeah, it's really fun to look at it right now, but I know for a fact that day three it's going to come in handy because I yeah. <laughs> I only go about three rounds deep and then I'm lost. Well, that that's the hope. That's what I want to do, and because I'm not going to be spot on with a lot of these projections. I mean, to some to some teams they'll look at guys differently than I do, and that's okay. But um, yeah, it's the all the all the stats, all the numbers, everything. That that's where I really take a lot of pride in, and a lot of work goes into it. Mm-hmm. And so, it's a fun read too. I also love to read all the background of all the guys, like good. Sam Darnold. You obviously wrote a lot about, but his grandfather Dick Hammer is a. Uh, one of my favorite things to read in your guide. It's that classic. was awesome. <laughs> you yeah, just had to put classic. it in there. Yeah. Dick Hammer, oh, Marlboro Man, that's amazing. Has yeah, to make no the such guide. thing is uh, no detail being too small. <laughs> that's an incredible name, too. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. It's amazing. Yeah. All right, Dane. We'll let you go. Um, I'm cooking some brisket this weekend for my nice. birthday. Um, and we know that you tout your uh, barbecuing, your amateur barbecuing skills. Any uh, any piece of advice? This is literally the first brisket I've ever smoked on a smoker I got for Christmas. Don't skimp on the meat. Get the best quality you can, the best Ooh. cut. Uh, that's you know, it doesn't matter how good of a cook you are. If you don't get a good piece of meat, you're not going to be able to hide uh, bad meat. So mm-hmm. that's that would be my that'd be my first piece of. Advice. Would you say Josh Allen's a nice piece of meat? <laughs> <laughs> don't don't skimp don't on the skimp meat, on John the Dorsey. Meat. <laughs> Uh, all right, Dane. Thanks for taking the time. We appreciate it. Um, we'll be tweeting at you all, all around draft time. Thanks so much, right, Dane. Right, You're guys. the man. I appreciate it. Take care, guys. Have a Bye good. now.
That was great. That was fantastic. Uh, always, Hi, Dane. Always good from Dane. I, I'm not sure he knew what to do with your Josh Allen joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little too much for him, but that's always what I'm trying to do. Um, just push it a little bit too far. Um, anyway, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. Hope you got some valuable insights into picking the brain of Dane Brugler. We are so glad to have him on. Um, and we, we would love for you to go download his guide. Um, he put a lot of work into it and it really is, um, a thick read. If you are looking to get educated on any of these players, um, this is the place to do it. Um, so thanks so much for listening, everybody. Don't forget to use Barbasol when you shave and when you're educating yourself on the guide, use Dane Brugler. All right, guys, go Browns. Go Browns. Thank mm-hmm. you.